Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast to O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. I won't let my body outweigh, outweigh everything that I'm made of. Won't spend my life trying to change. I'm learning to love who I am. I get strong, I feel free. I know every part of me is beautiful. And I will always outweigh. If you feel it, put your hands in the air. Show some love to the mirror while you're there. Let's take it one day at a time. Did you and I outweigh? Hey, Outway fam. It's Lisa here. Welcome back. Today I'm joined by our special guest, Megan Rivenberg. Hi, Meg. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. Hi. It's nice to see you too. So Meg is Meg Eats World on Instagram, and we've been following each other for, I don't know, years, right? Like, honestly, (laughs) since Instagram began. (laughs) Yes, we have. And we've been like, you know, on similar journeys, but different journeys Mm -hmm. when it comes to food stuff. And we've also got some age between us, too, I believe. But I'm so excited for everyone to go follow you and check out your account because it really is a fantastic resource for anybody who's going through eating disorder recovery and looking to take, I feel like, actionable steps to fight their fight. Thank you. Was that your intention? (laughs) Yeah, so it wasn't my intention at the beginning, but that's kind of what my intention has shifted to. So I'm really glad that that's kind of what shows. I mean, when I started it, it was on private and it was just for myself. It was kind of like a journal. I feel like over time it shifted into just kind of becoming more of me trying to put resources out that I wish that I had had um, when I was going through kind of the bulk of my recovery. 
So when you started your Instagram, you were in your recovery. Yes. And it was a private just for you. Yes. Okay. And what sort of things would, did you start posting? I posted pretty much all of my meals and snacks. It was kind of to keep myself accountable almost. It was a lot more reflective and a lot less educational, I guess. It was just for you. Yes. Yes. It was just for me. It was really just kind of a lot of me documenting what my moods were, what kind of day I was having, you know, eating disorder wise. And a lot of kind of my major firsts are documented still. If you go way back, um, I have about 2000 posts, I think now. So you have to scroll really far back, but I have my first brownie that I had in years that I documented on there that I went and got out with a friend. So it's really interesting for me to look back at if I take the time to actually scroll back because I can really see how much I've actually grown and just changed as a person too. So when you started, were you working with a team? Were you in treatment? What is like some of your more intimate story when you were in the throes of it? Yeah. So when I started it, it was actually kind of right after I had been getting treatment for my relapse. I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was in high school and four years went by. I had gotten outpatient treatment from a dietitian, a therapist, and also my uh, pediatrician, but I never really kind of got to the root of the issue. And so I ended up relapsing my sophomore year of college, which I honestly kind of struggle even to call it a relapse because I really think that I was sick the four years in between, but it just didn't show physically. And I think that's why it didn't seem to be an issue kind of to other people on the outside during that time. So I went home the summer after my sophomore year of college, and that's when I started treatment for the what they titled the relapse, I guess. <laughs> and so I was doing outpatient treatment again. I, I saw a new dietitian who was really, really helpful to me. I saw a different doctor and I saw my same therapist who I loved. And then I actually went abroad. So I was studying abroad in Australia when I started the account. And it was actually my best friend from home who texted me and said that she had seen some people using Instagram as kind of a tool for recovery. And she was like, oh, you should start an account. So I was like, okay, I mean, I don't really have anything to lose. So I made an account. I don't even know. I think the the name Meggie's World kind of came from me being abroad and traveling while I was doing that because I was seeing all different parts of the world, but I was also trying to <laughs> make sure that my eating was okay. And so that's how the name originated, but that's when I started the account. And honestly, up until this kind of Christmas time, I had never taken more than a day off. Wow. Okay. We'll get to that in one second, but yeah. you said so many interesting things. So you had anorexia, started some treatment, the clinical markers that classified you having anorexia went away. So maybe you gained weight, things like that. And yeah. they said, okay, you no longer have anorexia. Yes. And during those four years, you were still very much struggling, but it was only until you, I guess, lost weight again, mm -hmm. that you qualified for a relapse and got help again. Yes, that's correct. I don't think that I realized during those four years that I was still struggling. I thought I've gained weight. I'm a normal weight again. I'm probably recovered. And I kind of just thought that's what my life was going to be. And I've heard people describe it as like a pseudo recovery kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I probably could have lived in that for a very long time. But just being kind of on the other side now and having gotten actual help that got to the root of my issues, I can look back on that and see how different my life was then to how it is now. 
And that's great motivation for anybody listening to, to kind of know that what could happen when you dig a little bit deeper and pull up Mm -hmm. what's underneath. So you may not feel comfortable sharing the root of your issue, uh, but are, Mm -hmm. are you comfortable sharing how you got to the root of your issues? Yeah, it was, it was definitely therapy. I'm fine sharing the root of my, of my issues. It, it really was anxiety and I just was never treated for anxiety or even nobody even really knew that I had anxiety. I didn't know I had anxiety. Mm-hmm. I thought that was just how everybody thought mm. for a really long time until I started just actually talking more with my therapist and we were able to identify that, you know, these were not regular thought patterns. Um, these are not thought patterns that I had to live with. Mm-hmm. And they were really what were contributing most to my eating disorder behaviors and kind of the physical manifestation of the eating disorder. That kind of brings us back a bit for anybody listening to know that anxiety can manifest itself in different ways. For you, it was (laughs) anorexia. For me, it was uh, not anorexia, but disordered eating in many ways. But, you know, I, I went to get treated or to get help for disordered eating. And I too found a therapist that was like, okay, there's something underneath this causing it. Mm -hmm. which I found, you know, that too really just like shifted my understanding of myself, allowed me to go deeper. But that doesn't mean that just because you have anxiety, you have anorexia or disordered eating. But it is to say that anxiety oftentimes doesn't just stay as anxiety. It can manifest Mm -hmm. itself in different ways. And I loved how either you or your therapist put it, which is you're not having regular thought patterns. And best part, it doesn't have to be like this. Yes. Like that is so freeing to hear that Mm -hmm. your thoughts and the way you think and the patterns and the circles and the shapes that you're, you know, that you're so used to looping in can be broken. And Mm -hmm. you're living proof of that for all of us. And I think that that's kind of like the the main thing. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck on the diagnosis. Oh, I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have depression. I have this. I have that. I have anorexia. Poor me. And they might resolve some of the outward symptoms of that, such as for you, you know, gaining weight. And nonetheless, there's still that underlying buzzing, like I call anxiety buzzing, (laughs) of discomfort that needs to be cradled and talk to. So did your therapist help you work through that anxiety? Yeah, definitely. She did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy with me. And I remember she would ask me things and just confirm that that's what I was thinking. So for example, she would be like, okay, so you get good grades in school. And I'd say, yes, I do. And she's like, and you think that's because of luck? And I said, yes, I do. And you have like a supportive mom and dad and sister. Yes, I do. And you think that's because of luck? Yes. And she just kept going on and on. And then she got to the point where she was like, okay, do you hear what you're saying? Everything good in your life cannot happen because of luck. And I remember I just started laughing because I I just wanted so bad to resist what she was telling me and like believe what she was saying. But I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like I can't really deny that anymore. Like she was just so able to challenge every thought that I had. And that one, that one thought isn't necessarily what was the root of my eating disorder, but that's just kind of an example um, of what she would do. Like she was just so well able to 
actually make things make sense to me. Well, even if she's not talking about your thoughts regarding food, right? She started Mm -hmm. with something more benign, your grades, right? And if she could get you to challenge that and see that perhaps it's not luck, then it might also translate into your other thoughts may not necessarily be true. So that sounds like a genius approach. And it sounds like it really got you thinking of, okay, maybe I need to double, triple, quadruple think about every thought that I have and recognize that they are not reality. I think it's also definitely worth noting. So I I did mention that I went to therapy when I was first diagnosed and then I went back four years later. I was actually, I was going to the same therapist, but the difference is how much I put into the therapy. Mm. And at the beginning, the first day I walked in, my mom walked me in and I was acting like a toddler hiding behind my mom and crying because I didn't want to go talk to her. And I would just sit in the sessions and cry and not talk. And I think that was in some ways needed for me at the time to have somewhere to let out my emotions. But I also just really didn't put anything into the therapy. And when I went back the second time, four years later is when I started putting in what I wanted to get out. And I actually got that out of it. And was that with the same therapist? Yes, it was. So I think that's important too, because I kind of have a similar story with therapy in general, not related to the food stuff for me, but for years of therapy, I would go and I would just have someone come with me, uh, you know, an adult, and I would just cry in the corner and not say a word. (laughs) So it's funny, you and I never discussed that, but that was kind of our story. (laughs) And then one day, you know, I was like, okay, I want to go to therapy for myself. And I started to use my voice. And I saw therapists that I had gone to that had saw me cry in a corner and not use my words for, you know, many years. But I think that you brought up something important, which is that therapist created safety for you. You know, you said like you didn't get anything out of it over those crying years, but I think you did because you were establishing rapport, getting to know the environment. She was getting to know you, like learn about you in some way. So I wouldn't even say that those years were useless, but I still think you bring up a good point that when it comes to action and change in your relationship to food, it's going to take you stepping up and getting out of your comfort zone, whatever that looks like. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So Instagram was a tool for your personal recovery. And now it's really shifted many years later into a tool for others to recover. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. And you're also in school right now. Tell us a little bit about school or your degrees and where you're going. So I did my undergrad 2013 to 2017. Um, I went to Wake Forest University and I did not know what I wanted to study when I went into school at all. And I ended up declaring a health and exercise science major my sophomore year. And I loved that. But my favorite class that I took in that was nutrition. But I only took one nutrition class because that's all that was required for the major. And that major was kind of a stepping stone for a lot of people to go into different health fields. So there were a lot of pre-med, pre-PA, pre-OT, pre-PT, just a lot of pre-health people. And I still had no idea what I wanted to do my senior year. And I was actually talking with my mom and she was the one who rec- who recommended that I go into nutrition. And so at first I was a little bit skeptical of doing that just because of my past of an eating disorder, but I ended up going for it. And I'm really glad that I did because I think that although I do consider myself recovered from kind of the point of late college on, I definitely still made so much improvement after that period of time, but 
I feel like it just kind of goes to show that you never stop recovering almost. You kind of keep looking back and you're like, wow, I'm just better and better than I used to be. I love that. So basically you're always challenging thoughts that you're having and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, definitely. And I can, I can kind of see how I react to a stimulus differently now than I used to react to that same stimulus too, as kind of how I'm able to see how much I've recovered. For example, being asked to go out for ice cream in late college, even though I was recovered, I would still be pretty anxious about it and kind of think about it for maybe the whole next day or day or two. Now, like I'm the one asking like my boyfriend or a friend if they want to go out to ice cream or if they if they ask me, then I, I just don't think about it anymore. You have your master's right now, right? Yes. So I started that three days after undergrad. Okay. So it's your master's in specifically... Nutrition. Yes. And you're right now you're wrapping up your dietetic internship, which means you're very close to becoming a registered dietitian as well. Yes, I'm studying for the exam. Yay. <laughs> and one thing that's that's really interesting that you and I have spoken about offline is that a lot of people develop eating disorders when in school for nutrition. A mm -hmm. lot of people's eating disorders are masked by studying mm -hmm. nutrition. Mine certainly was. But for you, you said that school actually improved your relationship to food. And I'd love to hear more about that. Grad school in particular immensely improved my relationship to food. And I think that a majority of that is because of the program that I was in. My professors in the program that I was in were very, very pro-health. They were very health at every size. Oh, wow. They taught intuitive eating. And one in particular really, really emphasized how in order to help other people with their relationship to food, essentially, your relationship with food needs to be in check. Like you need to have a good relationship with food in order to help somebody else. Even if you're not necessarily working on disordered eating habits, everything that you're talking about nutrition wise with a patient or a client all comes back to your relationship with food. So that was just something that helped me so much. And I also think it really helped me to learn a lot of the actual science behind nutrition because I'm a very kind of numbers-based, science-based person. And like learning about metabolism and how, you know, a glucose from an apple is kind of the same thing as glucose from candy. That helped me immensely at one point in my recovery. But then also learning that, you know, an apple is different from candy also helped me immensely in my recovery, mm. just kind of at different points. And I was able to use both of those trains of thoughts throughout my recovery. And even now I'm able to use those two separate trains of thought to help me when needed. I love that. And that's kind of like what we call outer wisdom and fork the noise, which I know you're familiar with my program, but I kind of feel the same way. And that's not to say that that works for everybody, but I found that so many people were coming to me with these false ideas around food and this over generalized idea of how food works in the body, right? Like not being able mm -hmm. to understand those two trains of thoughts, which are a little bit tricky. So, you know, to recognize that sugar is sugar. So, you know, an apple's going to break down to glucose as is a candy bar, mm -hmm. which, you know, really can be so helpful in some moments. Yeah. And then also recognizing that there is still a difference between an apple and a candy bar, right? But if we can teach that to somebody in a way that's not saying apple good, candy bar bad, or as a recent post of yours 
um, said petition to stop calling food crap and junk, like, you know, to mm-hmm. not call the mm-hmm. apple good and then the, the candy bar junk is mm-hmm. radically different. And I think that that's important for everybody to understand that we can, I believe, it seems like it worked for you as well. We can learn about nutrition. We can speak about it, not positively, but accurately, (laughs) I should Mm -hmm. say. We can give people more information about food than we're giving rather than just fear mongering and oversimplifying because we think people can't understand it. And as a result, we are empowering people to use that information in different times of their life as needed, as you said. And I loved how you, how you put that. That was so so beautifully said. And what, wait, where was this school uh, for grad school? Where did you study? It was UNC Greensboro. Yeah. Okay, just I feel like people are going to be interested because my program, granted it was a bunch of years ago, but we certainly weren't talking about the conversations that you had. And I think that's awesome that so many RD2Bs or people get studying nutrition in general are getting access to that information at the grad school level. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in the United States experienced mental illness last year. Yet far too many people with mental health needs fail to receive the treatment and support necessary to elevate their quality of life. Carillon Behavioral Health is doing something about it. Born out of one of the largest healthcare organizations in the country, Carillon Behavioral Health believes that behavioral health is a key part of whole health. With 40-plus years of experience and 115,000 in-network providers, they understand the power of meaningful connection and compassionate care, treating physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carillon Behavioral Health is there to not only help individuals in need, but caregivers, parents, and communities, so everyone comes out stronger on the other side. Carillon Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury 
with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So you also have a pretty healthy relationship to exercise. Yes. Was that always the case? Mm, Yes and no. (laughs) I've been active my whole life. I've played sports my whole life. And I've always loved exercise. And when I was in high school, my eating disorder, actually exercise, I would say was absolutely completely separate from that. I didn't abuse exercise at all. When I was in high school and when I was going through the depths of my eating disorder, I don't know if that's because I was playing organized sports. And I think a lot of the mentality around exercise when you're in an organized sport can be very, very positive and um, at least my experience with organized sports. But then when I went to college and when I experienced what they call my relapse, I wasn't playing organized sports anymore. And that is kind of the point in time where I was somewhat abusing exercise, I would say. But the interesting thing with me is that I still loved exercise throughout the whole thing. And I still really did it a lot for the mental benefits. But there was also in the back of my mind, like, oh, I need to be doing this also because I need to burn calories. But I did find that after that period of time in college where I was abusing exercise, I kind of had to take a step back and give myself time. Although I did still love it, I had to give myself time away from it. And it had to be done on my own terms for me. So while I technically wasn't allowed to exercise when I was um, going through the weight restoration process, I needed a completely separate time where it was honestly about six to eight months probably where I just took a complete step back from exercise on my own. And that was during grad school to kind of rebuild that fully positive relationship with exercise that I had when I was younger that I wasn't experiencing when I was abusing exercise, if that makes sense. Yep, definitely makes sense. And you are also a trainer, right? Yes, I'm a personal trainer. I got that certification when I was in grad school, halfway through grad school. And that was probably just two or three months after I had gotten back into exercise after that really long break that I took from it. So that was kind of interesting for me to kind of play around with in my head because there was the thought like, oh, I I love this and I want to help people experience exercise and experience the positive effects that it can have. But also, am I doing this because I want to work closely with exercise, you know, have very close access to a gym, um, which I think can be kind of normal to have kind of that back and forth going on in your head when you're doing something. I mean, this is even something we talked about at the grad program that I was in. Am I eating a salad because I like salad or am I eating a salad because I feel like it's the healthy option and I need to do it? That was kind of what was going on in my head when I was getting the personal training certification, but I'm so glad I did it. I 
really, really loved working with all the clients that I worked with. I'm not currently training anybody, but that's not to say I won't in the future. But I really, really just, I loved being able to share the love that I have for exercise and put it in the positive light that I see it in for the clients that I was training. I feel like you and I have the same soul, you know, like <laughs> move. I, I, I'm so careful to articulate and talk about movement because of my past exercise addiction and movement for me now and for many years has been medicine. And also I, you know, I got my master's in nutrition and exercise physiology and I added on the exercise physiology, like you said, probably for half, you know, to be closer to the exercise portion of it, Mm -hmm. but also because I was fascinated by the science of exercise movement and how that played into nutrition. And I'm so glad I actually added that to my program, even though it was an extra year, because for anybody listening who's interested in school stuff like for me who I didn't have the background in nutrition undergrad and it kind of just made everything make sense about the body yeah. processes and everything yeah and now when I talk about exercise I don't talk about you know the metabolic states and physiological stuff but I'm so much more interested in like that mind-body connection that is fostered from it and it, it it's just so interesting with all things nutrition, eating the salad, not eating the salad, working out, not eating, not working out, how it really is about your intention and your getting real with yourself and questioning yourself and saying, okay, really, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And being honest with yourself in moments when you're, you know, slipping back into, okay, well, I'm I'm eating the salad because I'm actually afraid to eat the sandwich, even though the sandwich looks really good. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to the gym. Yes, because I want to feel good, but I'm probably going to go an extra for 15 minutes because tomorrow I want to wear blah, blah, blah. And I think that in order to wear blah, 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 I need to whatever. So mm-hmm. for people listening who are post-recovery or perhaps a future plan, how can they incorporate exercise post-recovery? What sort of questions can they ask themselves to pry and make sure that they're in a good place? I think that the most important thing is definitely finding something that you love doing just because you love doing it. I mean, just for example, during quarantine, I picked up rollerblading. I know you love rollerblading. I was doing that so much during quarantine. And it's just so fun because you're just wheeling around outside, like going who knows where. (laughs) And you're not looking at a calorie burn or thinking like, oh, how many burpees do I have to do to burn off X? It's just so separate from that. And I think that finding something that you love doing, whether it's rollerblading, whether it's dancing, like turning on music and dancing in your house or swimming or doing whatever it is that you love to do is definitely a really good option for someone who wants to incorporate movement back in after maybe having some time off. And I think the questions that you have to ask yourself are some of the things that you've already mentioned, like being very, very honest with yourself, which I know is easier said than done, but really asking yourself, why am I doing this? Do I want to feel good? If the answer is yes, I want to feel good. What about this is going to make me feel good? Is this going to help me mentally? Or do I think that it's going to make me feel good because I think that I need to burn off X? (laughs) Um, So kind of almost digging even deeper into that feel good question. And I also think separating exercise from food in every way that you can do that is a really helpful tool to use when incorporating exercise back. For example, instead of, you know, if you if you have a meal plan, instead of saying, oh, I have to eat less today because I didn't exercise, you know, keeping your meal plan consistent and just 
exercising when your body tells you to. I don't know. I feel like that mm-hmm. sounds kind of dumb and no, kind of abstract, but I don't know how else to say it. Well, let's, let's see, actually reverse it for everybody and say pause and rest when your body doesn't want to yes. be moved. Cause yes. that's probably louder. So I love your, your step-by-step for how we can incorporate exercise in post eating disorder recovery. So you said, ask yourself what you like to do and mm-hmm. tune into that. Like, I know that, you know, I might think that I like let's say running, which I don't, but let's just say, okay, I I love running. And then as I'm running, ask myself, do I like this? Does this feel Mm -hmm. good on my body in general or just today? And Mm -hmm. listen to that, try out new things, try out rollerblading, try out dancing. Doesn't need to be, you know, whatever's trending at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Step two, ask yourself, why am I doing this? What does it mean to feel good? Diving deeper into that. Step three, separate food from exercise. Huge, huge, huge one, especially if you have ever been around information that says, you know, 10 million jumping jacks equals one cookie, you know, or things that have kind of connected the two of them for a while that have really bled deep into our brain. We need to undo that and take breaks when the body asks for it and slash, slash, lean into movement when the body asks for it, bringing a little bit of playfulness into it. So I love that. I think that's really, really helpful tools. So the last thing that I want to ask you is that you mentioned that you've kind of actually taken a big step back from Instagram. I mean, if you go to your page, it's a wonderful resource. Everything that you have that has kind of that blue box around it, I feel like if people go to your page, they'll see what I'm saying here. It's such a great, easy to use resource, you know, reframing common disordered eating thoughts, petitioning to stop calling food crap and junk, subtle things that show your relationship with food and exercise have improved. And you make these cute little infographics. So just because Meg's taking a step back that she's going to tell us about doesn't mean that this still isn't a useful page that you can all return to. So tell us about your own step back and where that came from. As I've kind of examined it more and kind of reflected on it, I've definitely seen and just realized that the step back that I'm taking from Instagram is really coming from a place of, I don't feel like I need this anymore almost. And although this was more in the later years, a tool for other people, kind of a tool that I was putting out for others rather than a journal for myself. I also feel like I I was still benefiting from it. And I was, I was kind of getting that reminder every day with whatever it was that I was choosing to post that day. And I just have felt kind of over ever since summer 2019 is when I first started to feel this, which I mean, that's almost two years ago. (laughs) Ever since then, I've kind of just not felt the same draw that I was feeling towards it for 2015 to 2019. I also think a lot of that is coming from working with actual clients and patients on my own. So starting with my personal training clients, which I was doing 2019, 2020, and then going into my dietetic internship, I've been working one-on-one with patients now for almost a year. I think a lot of the fulfillment that I used to get from posting on Instagram and talking with people, if they messaged me or commenting on the posts or whatever, I was getting a lot of fulfillment through that, but that's kind of being replaced now by talking to actual people. And so I don't really know what's going to come of my Instagram. That's kind of why I haven't acted on anything really. Just something I've been you know, thinking about and playing around with in my head for almost two years now, what I want this page to be and where I want it to go. 
Um, but I feel like I've kind of found a happy medium now with just not putting pressure on myself to post as much anymore as I used to and kind of having it there, but going back to it when I want to go back to it. And I love that. I love it. I think it's important to always evaluate your relationship to social media, whether you're a full on just user or a poster, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're using it for and, and, and say, okay, is this serving me at this stage in my life? Because it's got to serve you first and foremost in order for you to serve others. But mm-hmm. regardless, you know, it sounds like your life is just really fulfilled in deeper directions of helping people. Like that is what you're good at and you're doing it not with real people as you said it. Like everyone's a real person whether you're DMing yeah, or, or whatever. <laughs> but I understand what you you meant in real life. Yes. And other pockets of the world, you know, you're you're not just showing up to your phone as a way to help people you're helping people in a many different directions and there's only so much you to also go around. Mm-hmm. So regardless, would you recommend somebody in eating disorder recovery? So in the same place that you were when you started your account, would you recommend in 2021 that somebody start an Instagram account for their own recovery? Maybe looking back at your journey, but also considering where the internet is now, is it still a safe place to bring those types of reflections? I think that's a really tough question because Instagram really has changed so much since 2015 or whenever it was that I started my Instagram. I think if I were to be in that position now and be starting my Instagram now, I would definitely have my account on private and I would definitely leave it on private. (laughs) And I just, I don't think I would be as open as I was able to be back then, because I think just now there's so much room for people to come in and I don't know if it's quarantine or what, but I feel like there's just, there's so much kind of backlash to anything that anybody says about recovery. And there's just, there's so many different ways that someone can recover. And there's so many phases that you go through when you're recovering, that I don't think judging someone for what phase they're in at any point or giving negative feedback to that person is necessarily going to help them. So like I said, I think I would put it on private and I would also be very careful about who I chose to follow. You really shape the experience that you have on social media so much, not fully, but a lot. And so I would definitely be just very careful about who I chose to follow. And I'd probably keep it small at this point. And a lot of people, women that I see, and this doesn't speak to anything I've ever seen on your page, but it might start as a way to challenge yourself and document your food. But soon, if you have a public account, come in the claps, the likes, the applause. And very quickly for all people, it becomes a game of, popularity, validation, Mm self-worth. And then you're posting things because you need the clap, the, the, the validation, the, yeah, you got this. Even if it's, you know, somebody saying something positive back to you, it's still validation that you need. And it's important to ask yourself if you are going to use social media for that reason, you know, why am I posting this? Is it for me? Do I care how many likes that I get? And if I do care, well, maybe it's time to kind of check in with myself and this as a tool for recovery. 
Yeah. And I think that's really important to note too, because it can be a slippery slope. Very slippery slope with the internet. And I I kind of struggle to to deter anybody from doing that, but I do want to put some precautions on as well. Like this podcast is all about helping everybody recognize that they're not alone and provide some tools, resources, conversations to really help them know that. And the one thing that is the most freeing is to be able to tell your story. But in the world of the internet, the thing that I just talked about on my podcast recently is that it's kind of like who has the best story? Who has the, the worst story, I should say? You know, the most extreme story. And so when telling your story, you know, you want to make sure that you don't feel like you need to embellish it to be heard or or, or have any part of, of your storytelling be jeopardized by how someone else may respond to that. Like you said, it hasn't been the kindest place. There's one, people think there's one way to recover. Um, they're very quick to tell you what you're doing wrong. And and in, when you're in a fragile state of recovery, just do what you need to do to protect yourself. So that's for you to figure out, person listening, <laughs> and for you to constantly evaluate and take steps forward, steps back in terms of how you recover so that you are truly protecting yourself every step of the way. Even right now, how Meg, you know, it's been two years since you kind of have been like, all right, I'm feeling something, but you're evaluating, you're treading lightly, you're still showing up because you love to help people, but you're, the wheels are turning as maybe this isn't the place where you need to spend all of your time and energy. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful to kind of just see your evolution and your progress. And thank you for sharing everything that you do. Thank you so much. It was fun to talk to you in real life. <laughs> Feels very natural. So go follow Meg at Meg Eats World. Um, anywhere else they can hang out with you? Do you have a blog? Uh, I do. My I'm not very active on it, but it's linked in my Instagram bio. All right. So Meg Eats World is the best place to find Meg. That's the place. Thanks so much for hanging with us, Meg. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.